Psalm 23. Uh, first week we covered verses 1 through 3. The second week we covered verse 4. Uh, tonight, 5 and 6, Lord willing. So let's read verses 1 through 4 where we've already been. It, psalm 23, a psalm of David, uh, who we said uh, grew up as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so you can watch online uh, or ask us for a CD, however you want to listen to it. You go to our website and you can listen to the teaching on those uh, first four verses. So the first four verses basically laid out like this. It's the imagery is as God as a shepherd and David as one of his sheep. Although David was a shepherd boy growing up, he realized when he was shepherding, wow, this is how God deals with his people. And the overall impression of the psalm, we'll really see it tonight, was that it is a time of danger and sheep, which would be David and the Lord's people, that would be us if you're not one of the Lord's people. We're glad that you're here with us tonight. Really, actually thrilled that you're here with us tonight. And, and, but, but sheep are vulnerable to attack. In verses 1 through 3, we were told how the shepherd provided for the needs of the sheep. He provided food. He provided refreshment. He, ref he provided rest. In verse 4 last week, we looked at how the shepherd protected the sheep, how he guided the sheep through what was called the valley of the shadow of death, or uh, some versions would translate that uh, the darkest valley. Tonight we come to verse 5 and 6. Again, uh, very familiar to many of us, especially I would say verse uh, 6. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. A lot of versions say pursues me. I think that's a way better word personally. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I said, week one, this was the song I sang to my dad when I was with him when he was going home to be with the Lord, and I could barely get verse 6 over my lips. You know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, most Bible scholars tell us that the metaphor makes a shift here from the Lord as a shepherd to the Lord as a host, and David is the guest. So the shepherd is the host and the sheep is the guest. And I find the words describing God's movements or the shepherd's movements uh, to be quite interesting. In verse 2 and 3, we're told, he leads me. He leads me. Verse 4, we were told, David said, you are with me. Verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me. And verse 6, he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me or pursue me. In other words, David's telling us that the Lord covers his people on all sides. You don't have to worry, is he, where is he? Is he here? Is he there? Is that you are covered 
on all sides. It is the full dedication of the Lord to his people. And so the title of our message tonight is The Shepherd Who Pursues His People. So let's look at verse 5 again. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Some of your versions say, my cup overflows. So I, I know we kind of picture the you know, nice banquet of you Downton Abbey fans or something like that. You kind of picture this thing with this beautiful banquet. But I want to just take it back to the sheep metaphor just for a minute and maybe make it a little bit more comical for a second. Uh, a funny picture in my mind was uh, the shepherd comes into the banquet tent and he says he sees the enemies of the sheep and he invites David the sheep to come in. So he sits down the sheep as the guest of honor in the tent with his enemies. And it reminds me that the Lord not only can be with his people, but of the individual attention that he can give to each sheep, each member of the flock. You know, they actually say that between a shepherd and a sheep, they, they name them all. They know them all by names. They, when they hear their name, that they're actually called. And so they're going to receive this individual attention from the shepherd, from the Lord. So first off, notice that the Lord prepares a table. Now, we do know that when a shepherd would take the flock to a new area, what they would do is they'd have to, one of the shepherds would have to stay with the sheep. You know, they're not the smartest of animals. And they would kind of clear the field so they wouldn't be eating all kinds of junky plants and weeds and be looking out for other things like that. And so they would clear it and make it a nice place for them uh, to graze. But here, it's not just the grasp of the, past, the grass of the pasture. It's a table of abundant food and abundant drink. So it's not like this cheesy kind of snack or something like that. I mean, he walks in and he's like, oh my goodness, look what has been prepared. Like, who's the guest of honor? And, and the, the Lord is like, it's you. It's you. You're the, you're the guest of honor. And so the idea is it's a banquet. It's a celebration. Perhaps celebrating the fact that the sheep survived what we talked about last week, the valley of the shadow of death. They were happy that they made it out of the, the you know, going through those passes and the, through the cave, by the caves and by the rocks, and they escaped from the predators. Now, let's just forget the sheep sitting at the table just for a second. Let's bring it into David's world and into our world for a minute, and let's bring it into the world of fear, of fear. Remember we said sheep scare easy. We said that David was always constantly under attack from various types of enemies, so there was a lot to be fearful of. And many of us are fearful by nature. I wouldn't consider myself to be one of those people, but I got to tell you something. These days, I'm keeping my distance from people. I'm not, you know, I see somebody and I'm like, I'm not getting too close to you. So there's, there's a lot of fear that is in the, in the air. And verse 4, I think, made it clear to us the answer to fear, and that's not throwing common sense out the window. The, that, that's tempting God. That's presuming upon God. But the answer to our fear and a way to calm anxiety is to experience the close presence of the Lord. And 
a lot of the different ways that David described the Lord being with us and around us and leading us and following us really give us that idea of his close presence. And as we said last week, the problem with a lot of fears is this, that many of those fears are in our head. But here, we're told in verse 5 that he's in the presence of his enemies. This is not in his head. This is a literal enemy. So God is the host here of the banquet who protects his people from their enemies. But very interesting, he can also satisfy you in the midst of your enemies. So David's in the midst of his enemies, but his relationship with God is not merely just surviving, but it's actually thriving. He's actually experiencing what it means to be in the Lord and to be protected by the Lord. And so even in this danger, his faith is growing. We could say the faithful following of the Lord in verses 1 through 4 has what has now turned into the calm of verse 5. And think about the picture for a minute. It's really, it's really quite amazing. Imagine the Lord comes in and he plops you in the pre- down in the presence of your enemies and he is standing there. How would you feel? Would you feel calm? Now, I was thinking about this myself and, and I was, you know, every night on my way drive home, I, I pass two diners and you know, I miss going to the diner. Miss Pam and I are going, let's, let's go to the diner, right? Or, or maybe after church with friends or something like that. And, and so just picture yourself at the diner. And let's not think about enemies, but let's just say you're sitting in a chair uh, in a booth. And the guy in back of you, whether it's some kid who's jumping or somebody who's, you know, much heavier than you or something like that, and they're kind of bouncing around their booth, and you know how they're shaking you? And, and Or you're in a restaurant and the people next to you, they're just loud talkers. It's like you're like, I can't, you know, I, my wife has a, has a nice low voice and I don't always hear the best. And, and she says that's because you're not listening, but that's another story for another day. But, but like, like some other people in the booth next to you, they're just loud. And, you, and the whole place is looking at them like we can all hear what you're saying and we're really not that interested in it. And, and what is the thing, what am I getting at here? We are very easily distracted. Whether it's the kid bouncing in the seat in back of you, I always got to play, with, I always ruin it for the people sitting across from me because I got to play with the kid, you know, make faces at him and then they start playing hide and seek with him and stuff like that. Or, or the people who are talking loud next to you, we're easily distracted, but not here. Even with his enemies right there at the table with him, David is calm. David has the joy of the Lord. He is not distracted. That leads to a very soul-searching question. If the Lord can, can do that in the presence of our enemies, can he always do it? I mean, if he can really give us a peace in the midst of real danger, 
Can he give us a peace in all times of our lives? The scene here is very interesting. I mean, just picture you come in and it's all your enemies. You're just like, gobble your food down and let's get out of here. <laughs> right? or, or you're like, you know, I got, I got to go somewhere. Can I take it to go? But that's not the scene here at all. The scene here is David comes in. He's in the midst of his enemies. It's not hurry up and eat. It's sit and relax. Why? The Lord wants to show us that he wants us to trust him with the external pressures of our lives. He wants us to trust him when it seems like we're in a very, very difficult situation. Next, David says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, to us, we're like, that doesn't seem really good unless you're thinking of like some essential oils or something like that, but then you don't use that much. But this would be done, it's a custom to, to welcome and honor a guest. So it would be a, a welcomed and refreshing gesture of hospitality. It would be one of the ways that you would make a guest feel comfortable. So you're like, well, I don't get it. Well, just imagine that you've been wearing sandals and you've been walking you know, through mountains and through these, these paths and, and up and down hills and on dirt roads and all that, and, and you've been doing it all day. And it now comes to the end of the day, you arrive at somebody's house that you're going to be staying with, and the oil will just soothe your dry and cracked skin. And you're like, wow, this is, this is wonderful. It, it will, it will you know, soothe your chapped lips. He says, you anoint my head. Your, your scalp would be all sunburned. You know what that is like? You have a, if you have a part in your head or you know, my friends that don't have, that shave their heads, they're just like, man, you got to be really careful out there with that because you can really get a nasty sunburn. Um, it, would, it would soothe your weary feet, which would just... You know how it is when you just like your feet, you put your feet, dip your feet in a pool or something like that when it's really hot, something like that. And so that long, hot, dry, and dirty trip would be quite taxing on someone, and oil would help the guest to relax. Really, the oil coming in, sitting at the banquet, being made to feel comfortable would make you feel how? would make you feel at home. It's one of the things I miss about church here is, is when the kids would come up to me and they would say, uh, Pastor Jim, am I allowed to get something out of the uh, refrigerator? And I always go, is this your church? And they go, yeah, this is my church. I go, then you can get something out of the refrigerator. And before they run away, I grab them by the ear. No, I really don't grab them by the ear. But I'll say, but if this is your church, then we can ask you to help clean up, you know. <laughs> So, so we want people to feel at home, but part of being at home is you, you do clean up, but th none of that is here. And finally, at the end of verse 5, he says, my cup runs over. Again, some verses say my cup overflows, presumably of wine. And, and wine represents joy in the Word of God. So here's this guy in the tent with the enemies. Just picture the sheep sitting with the wolves. And he's like, man, this is great. This is great. And he's not being stupid. He's not being gullible. He's there because the Lord is with him. And certainly this would be for him a relaxing time of fellowship with the Lord 
something all followers of Jesus can enjoy. Just that sweet time of, of fellowship with God. I was, I was reading the beginning of the book of Acts, and yesterday morning it really hit me. I mean, really hit me. I was like, that would have been so cool to have been there. Like, they're, they're speaking in tongues, and the people were understanding them, and they're like, what is going on here? The old expression is, if you can explain it, then the Lord didn't do it. And so I was thinking, man, that would be like so awesome to be there, just to have that great joy. And so, and it was a time for me of, of what I would call fellowship with God and, and begging Him to do that again in our world, in our corner of, of New Jersey, in, in our world, in our country. And so it's something that all followers of Jesus can enjoy. And think of it for a second. If we're polite, we do the same thing. Somebody comes to your house and you say, let me take your coat. Uh, would you like to use the bathroom? Can I get you a drink? Sit, relax. Don't, you don't, there's nothing for you to do. There's nothing for you to do. Make yourself at home. Imagine God saying that to you. And here, it's not like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to eat the last chip or I don't want to take the, the last of those little hot dogs or whatever, you know, maybe it's appetizers or something like that. Here, there's no scarcity. It's a banquet of blessings, and, and it's a picture of the satisfaction of resting in the Lord, a picture of fellowshipping with God. And the picture of the, the cup running over, really, I believe, is of the joyful Christian life and, and a wonderful supply of joy. I remember when I first became a Christian, I, w I was visiting somewhere. I don't even remember exactly where I was. And in their bathroom, they had a book. And so I picked it up, and it said, The Joyful Christian by C.S. Lewis. And it was a collection of writings, and I'd never, I know who C.S. Lewis was. I don't know anything about it. And I think the people thought I died in the bathroom. I was just reading and reading and reading and thinking, Oh, my goodness. This is such a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that I can sit and enjoy and feed upon the wonderful supply of God's joy. So let me ask your friend tonight, if your cup doesn't overflow, maybe it leaks, maybe it, it, it's cracked, maybe you think it's too dirty to drink out of and you need to ask God to forgive you of something, ask the Lord tonight if he would help you to overflow with his joy. Now, here's the pushback. Are you ready? Here it comes. But I have problems. I have problems. Well, this whole psalm is about a guy with problems. And so the answer is, is that the Christian life doesn't promise to remove all of your problems. If anybody's told you that, and you think, it's not working for me, I'm sorry that they didn't tell you the truth. Maybe that somebody else told them that, and they were just passing along the bad information. The Christian life doesn't promise that you're not going to have any trouble. It doesn't promise that you're not going to have any pain. It promises that the Lord is your shepherd, and he will be with you. And so you may even have legit enemies. So the challenge is to look out for the Lord preparing a table for you.
What do I mean by that? To, to be very conscious in your life of what we sometimes call evidences of grace. Of just certain little evidences that God hasn't forgotten you. That he remembers you. And be on the lookout for such things. Perhaps we have to go back to, if we're having trouble with that, thinking about our mind again. You see, for most of us or many of us, even you might say some days all of us, the mind is probably our biggest enemy. Because it's an enemy that brings fear and guilt and anxiety, shame, anger, paranoia. I could go on and on. You could probably add a lot more words to the discussion too. So, you know, go ahead, think of a few different words and jot them down or something like that if it's maybe what you're going through. But all of those things, when they're just, that's what our mind is full of, makes it very hard to experience the presence of God because our mind is racing. Makes it very hard to experience the Lord. Yet the Lord is very, very faithful to continue to send blessings our way. I had a video conference today with one of my doctors and for my neurological condition. He's, he's, he travels all over the world. All that's on hold. He's extremely well-known. And I've been going to him for years. And he pops on the screen. He's like, Jim, how are you? So I start telling him how I feel. He, go, feel. he goes, no, 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 we're friends. How you doing, man? What's going on? How's life? How's, how's, how's everything? Like he, he knows I'm married. He knows I got kids. He knows I'm a pastor. So we're just, we're just talking about that stuff. And I was like, you know, that's a real blessing. That was a real blessing to have him ask me for that. Because right now, in this age that we live in, you don't have a lot of people asking you how you're doing. And so that was, a, that was a real blessing to have that. And so sometimes we have to be on the lookout for blessings because they often come through people. But a lot of times, if our mind is full of that other stuff, we discount what they say. We, we, we discount the blessing that God sends our way or we completely miss the blessing because our mind is full of fear or our mind is full of lies. Well, well, how do we fight this? Well, prayer and the Word of God, yes. Preaching to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves, yes. But I think it's also being constantly on the lookout for the evidences of grace or sometimes we call them grace markers or, this is in the book of Acts, and the word of the Lord went forward. I'm like, that's a grace marker. We look for those grace markers, or we change our mindset. We are looking to be serving instead of to be served. Instead of waiting for someone to reach out to us, we reach out to others that takes us to the last verse, verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy, that's that great word, hesed, hesed, or some versions say loving kindness. Some versions say 
faithful love, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Again, other versions say pursue me. I think it's a better word. I'll tell you why in a minute. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David looks ahead to the future. In the past, he had been pursued by his enemies. But now, he says, I'm being pursued by the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean the Lord wasn't always pursuing him. But now he's fully well aware of it. And many of us who are, like me, later life converts, we will speak of that. We will, we will speak of the fact that that was really what our coming to faith experience was like. It was like we were being pursued. We were being hunted down. Sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as the hound dog of heaven. The old preachers used to call him the hound dog of heaven. We were being pursued by God. We couldn't get away. You know, you're just like, you're like, oh, I got to get away from God. I got to get away from God. And, you know, you go get gas and the guy's like, oh, God bless you. You, you go get a cup of coffee. Oh, God bless you. Why is everybody blessing me? Stop. Remember, I, I got on a plane and I, and I headed down to the Virgin Islands and I, I sat at a pool and I looked out over the ocean and all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's here too. Knowing that he is pursuing you. And, and then when you finally come to faith, if you're not a follower of Jesus, please listen to what I'm about to say. When, when you finally come to faith, what a relief it was when you realized, and there's probably a lot of pain along the way, that's okay, when you realized that it was goodness and mercy that had hunted you down. When you realized that it was loving kindness that had hunted you down. How many of you ever hear people say, God's out to get me. God hates me. And you're like, oh no, man. That's the exact opposite of what was going on. That's why I like the word pursue over follow. Follow kinds of makes it seem like God is just kind of walking along and like, okay, where are we going next? But pursue is a much more aggressive word. It's a much more passionate word. It's a much more deliberate word. It's much more intentional. Like God had a plan to pursue you. God had a plan to pursue me. That is no small thing to know that God has pursued you and continues to pursue you. Because that pursuit gives David, gives us confidence that he is truly a child of God. You see, when you begin to experience the presence of God in your life, even when it seems like he doesn't leave you alone, that's how you can know, one of the ways you can know, that you are truly a child of God. And notice it's all said in the context. Don't forget verse 4. He's pursuing me even in the valley of the shadow of death, and don't forget verse 5, and in the presence of my enemies. That's faith. That's trust in God. But, but not faith 
in a mere intellectual way. You know how some people go, I believe, I believe. No, this is, this is experiential faith. This is an experience of fellowship. This is an experience of, of communion, of, of relationship with God. This is what it means to have a daily relationship with Him. Perhaps if we think about the fact that the word, uh, that the Lord pursues us, it might change a word in this verse, and it's the word surely. We don't use it very much. I might say, if we were going to write in a contemporary American version, instead of the word surely, like, uh, surely so, I guess, something like that. Doesn't, it's, not, it's not aggressive enough. We might substitute the word only. In other words, the Lord only follows us with goodness and mercy. Only. It, because goodness provides for our needs and mercy provides for the forgiveness of our sins. It, it puts it, now they would have known this, but in the way we think, you know, words change meaning over time. And so really would have put this in the, in the wonderful, we use the word only, like this is only the way God pursues me. Even if it doesn't seem like it. I have to remember that. I have to remember that. At a time in which we find ourselves living in right now, I'm constantly saying to myself, or I'm constantly saying to Lord, I know that you have a plan. I know I don't have to know what it is. I know I don't even have to like it. But I know only goodness and mercy are following me. I know only goodness and mercy are pursuing me. Now, the, the temple, or in David's time, the, the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle, was also known as the house of the Lord. David's son Solomon built the, built the temple. And yet David says that he experiences the house of the Lord through goodness and mercy. It's like he's saying the experience of being in the house of the Lord is with me Everywhere I go, because the Lord constantly invites me into his life. I know a lot of people talk about, okay, Lord, we invite you here. Like he needs an invitation to go anywhere. No, I, I like it that he invites us. And that's what the Lord wants for you. That's what the Lord wants for me. He wants for all of us a sense of his presence where we are and wherever we go. No matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are. Now, I feel sad for some people because this is what peop some people will say. I go to church. Like, wow. <laughs> I go to church. Or some people say, yeah, well, you know, I, I visit church every once in a while. David says, no, 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 no. I dwell in the house of the Lord. Like, I'm home in the house of the Lord. And he says, I dwell there forever. Some versions, or the, the literal meaning of that is for length of days. And so he's just really talking about probably his time here on earth, but there's more that he's talking about that we're going to explore next week. You see, 
for the history of the people of God, we have to understand that they had, they had the tabernacle, sort of the port of church tent that they had when they were traveling across the wilderness. Then they had the first temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. Then they, had the, they built the second temple. But, but in the history of the, of the people of God, um, God meant the meeting place, the house of the Lord, to be so much more than just a place. He wanted it to be an experience of his person. So some people go, well, I, I, I go to church to, you know, to, to see God or to meet God. But for the follower of Jesus, that really should be sort of a way we go to as a group of people to express our worship of God. It's not, it's not that we're just going to church and then, you know, that time we have on Sunday morning or whenever you go and, and then we, we live the rest of our lives without God. That's not it at all. You see, in, in, the, in the book of Exodus, the people look forward to the land, um, a permanent home. They're really looking forward to that. You, you see that in the world, like all these refugees that are, I don't mean to use that in a negative sense, but these, these people, it's so sad to see they're, 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 they're just like we have to get to a better place. We have to get to a place we can call home because this place where we live, it's, it's not home anymore. It's awful. And the Lord says to his people, hey, remember, you were once strangers in the land too. Don't, don't forget that. And so, and so when the people were going across the wilderness, the, the Lord gave them the tabernacle, the tent, the, the place to personally meet with the Lord. But every time they moved, they picked it up and, and they followed the, the, the pillar of fire and that showed them where they, where they, needed, to, where they needed to go. But what does is, what is really it all represent? Home was where the Lord and his people were. That's home. You know, I always think of my home as, as, as where Pam is. You know, and I, I just, you know, I, I love it when I, you know, pull into my garage and we have one of those automatic door openers and I see her car there. I'm like, oh, she's here. She's home. That's, that's what home is. In time, under King Solomon, they built the temple, as we're seeing on Sundays in Habakkuk, that was destroyed by the Babylonians. But while the people were exiled in Babylon, they were having their faith stretched What's one way they were having their faith stretched? They didn't have their security blanket. They didn't have the house of the Lord. They didn't have the temple. But God's like, listen, I'll be with you. You say, well, they were exiled. How do you know he went with them? Well, because we know God left the temple, Ezekiel told us, and he had prophets down there in Babylon, so God was with his people. In fact, you know, the, the, the temple was symbolic of the place where the people of God and the God of heaven and earth met with his people for them to be with God, with each other, and to worship God. And, but throughout periods of Israel's history, they didn't always have that. And even in, in times of the Christian church, there's been times when, when the, the people didn't have that. They didn't have church. You know, whether they were on the run from the government 
when they were hi- when they were hiding from enemies, where other times there was plagues and other times people were isolated. There's been plenty of times when they did not have the, the luxury of going to a place where God's people met. But, but that tells us a lot about knowing and experiencing God. That He's not far, the Scripture says, that He's near, that we can experience Him. Psalm 36, 7 through 9, another Psalm of David, he says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So that's a place where, under God's protection, you experience Him. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. But what about when the house was destroyed? We could still meet with God. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a place you want to drink out of, isn't it? For with you there is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. What's David doing there? He's giving us all a bunch of different metaphors to describe knowing and experiencing the Lord. And so David's saying here, listen, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever and ever because no matter where I go, I'm actually in the house of the Lord. I'm with him all of the time because he's with me all of the time. David knew, we've seen this already, that life was full of problems and dangers, times of protection and rescue, but also times of delight, also times of joy. And see, for us as followers of Jesus, God wants us to enjoy not only his protection, not only his provision, but he wants us to enjoy the greatest gift of all, And do you know what God's greatest gift of all is? Himself. Giving himself to us and for us on the cross. That is the greatest gift of God. So so dwelling in God's house forever, while it does remind us of eternity, it also reminds us of today. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And I know because I get lots of emails and texts and calls about it, that a lot of you miss coming to the house of the Lord. I mean, it's actually an interesting thing. Um, I'm, 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 I watch people coming in in between services a lot of times, and I'm well aware, and I used to be there before I was a, you know, a pastor on a staff at a church. Uh, it was a little, it's a little different doing that, but I'm well aware that that when, when many of us come into church on a Sunday morning, it's, we kind of do one of these. <sighs> like, I made it. What a relief. I, I survived an, another week. And it's important for those of us who are serving God to remember that for a lot of people, and this is a challenge for a, for a pastor, trust me, and and. and for us that serve in the church, we got to remember that for a lot of people, this coming to the house of the Lord is the highlight of their week. Or for some people coming in who don't know God personally, they're coming in searching and they're looking and we're like, oh, it's Sunday, another church day. 
not understanding that we're inviting them to step onto holy ground. I get it. We, we walk into church and it feels like we escape the world. It, it feels like we come into the presence of God to be with his people. And we certainly do miss that. It's, it's an opportunity also to, to be satisfied in God and to step into the light. But here's the thing. When we leave the building, if we're doing it the right way, we might leave the building, but we don't leave the light. We might go out into the dark part of the valley, but we don't leave the shepherd. In fact, we want to go out and we want to introduce others to him. And so then dwelling with the Lord is, is much more than coming to church on Sunday. It's much more than living this joyless existence, just hanging on until we get to heaven. I know a lot of us want the Lord to return, and, and I do, but I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm, I'm torn. I, I also want to see more people come into the kingdom. So I'm, it's like I always say, my, my bags are packed, but I'm ready to live to be 100. Because I, I know there's so many people in our lives that we want to see come to faith. You know, as Americans, we, we struggle with pain. And we talked about before, we struggle with uncertainty. And unfortunately, those things, if we're not careful, can really hinder our experience of the Lord. I'm not saying be fake. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that keep reminding yourself again and again that, that knowing God does not mean there will be no pain in your life. Is there a place in our lives when we just can't get over certain types of pain and, and we need to speak with someone who's skilled in helping us walk through that valley? Yes, there is. There is. We call them biblical counselors. But we, we want to keep reminding ourselves, okay, that the Lord is with us and we are with him. And David is teaching us here in Psalm 23 that we can experience the presence and blessings of God even in tremendous hardship, even in great, great difficulty. And, and that's often a choice, guys. That's often a choice to see the activity of God, again, Evidences of grace. I keep saying this because I want us to be aware of this. This is often a choice to see the activity of God in the events of our lives and like Jesus to know there's a time for joy and there's a time for lamenting and sorrow and there's a time for anger. But here's the thing about Jesus that was different. He didn't get those times mixed up. He viewed all of those times through the eyes of faith, not himself, and he was sinless, not his sin. You see, that's how he can be on the cross, and they're crucifying him, and he can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Why? Because he sees the joy of God's plan. And he's not vengeful against them. May, may, may God cure us of some of the ways we see life and, and some of the ways we miss his blessings and, and miss times when he is leading us into joy. Perhaps I think we also miss church because some of us find that it's easier to serve in church. It's easier for us to uh, put aside ourselves for a bit and, and to serve others in Jesus' name. And so, see, we always say that's a training ground. And, and I hope that if you're now sidelined from serving on Sundays in the church, that you have become so serving conscious that you can't help but continue to do that wherever you go. To, to connect with others, if you will, to bring the house of the Lord to them, to experience the joy of heaven and let others participate in that. And that's just not your Christian friends. Those are other people. You know, we often say they're watching you, and these are the times they're really watching you. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Listen, this is, this is difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. There's a lot of pressure on a lot of people. But yet we have to be able to come back and say, you know what, I just I forgot who I was for a minute. And I have to remember that I'm a child of the king. You see, I think that sometimes the, the joy of the Lord, we have to realize, is, is just a slight taste of what is to come, sitting with the Lord and experiencing the fullness of who He is. And I, I, sometimes I tease the people here, I don't want the Calvary Chapel people to get to heaven and be clueless about what's going on. Like, oh, we don't know how to be joyful. We, we don't know what to do. And we want to know the Lord. So let's go back to the sheep sitting at the table. But now let's look ahead. Now the sheep all sitting around the table because it's not filled with enemies. It's, the table is now filled with sheep who just love the shepherd. The long up and down journey is over. There have, it's been quite a journey. There have been times of peaceful pasture by a quiet stream. We saw that in week one. There have also been times in the dark valley, <laughs> times of being in a fearful place where we long for firm, the firm footing of faith. And there's also been times in the presence of enemies, seen and unseen, but there have also been glorious times in the Lord's presence and in the house of the Lord. Being honored as, as a guest at the table is great, but Psalm 23, we'll talk about next week, looks forward to being in Yahweh's house forever. Next week, we'll see that his banquet is an eternal one. There's no overstaying your visit. 
You know how you're like, I think we've been here too long. I think we need to get out of here. You know, you're at a party. You were the first one there, and everybody's gone, and you're still there. No overstaying your visit. We're always with the Lord. And the cross and the resurrection guarantees for a follower of Jesus a safe arrival into heaven. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus leads us. Because Jesus walks with us. Because Jesus follows us and he pursues us. Because he's our shepherd and we are his sheep. In other words, his protection, his provision, his pursuit is always with us in the ups of life, in the downs of life, and in the ordinary times of life. But that's only for those who have turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the Scripture says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each gone our own way. And so we need to repent. We need to turn to God. And we need to put our trust in Jesus, in His life and death and and resurrection. You see, because here's the reality. It's really hard to trust a shepherd that you're running away from. (laughs) And so maybe tonight you're running from God. And you're just like, this is it. It's not going. You know, when people say to me, you know, I feel like I've been running from God. And I'm like, well, how's that going for you, man? And usually the answer is not too good. There's a verse in the, in the old King James Version that says, the way of the transgressor is hard. God's going to make your life hard if you are running from him. He's going to make it very, very difficult Why? Because he doesn't want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him. See, until you turn to God and put your trust in Jesus, Jesus used the wording repent and believe, it is impossible for you to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can't say that until you're trusting Jesus. And you're following Jesus. But if you do, if you do, even maybe now, tonight, if you do, you will be able to say, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you will know full well that the reason you will dwell there is because the Lord pursued you. And so when you look at the cross, I want you to think of Jesus dying there in your place for your sins. And I want you to think this to yourself. That shows me how much he loves me. That shows me how hard he pursued me. That's why I like the word pursue. It's deliberate, it's intense, it's, it's thought out, and it includes you. The question is, do you want to become one of the sheep of his flock? Well, let's pray.